Hey, Real Talkers, this episode includes updates on two people we've featured in past. One, an international story, Vivian Silver, uh, one of them closer to home, Dr. Bradley Martin. Both are tough pills to swallow, but I believe they're important stories to be told. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Thank you for joining us here on Real Talk. This episode is uh, going to include a couple of updates. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, while we do have some good news, some happy news, definitely some smiles on the way at the end of the episode uh, presented by Kubi Energy, positive reflections coming up. There's a couple of gut punches in this episode as well. We're going to follow up on two stories that we've brought you in past conversations that we've had. We're going to update both of them, one of them on Canadian soil and one of them abroad. And and both of them, I guarantee, will get you thinking. Uh, One of them in particular uh, will break your heart, most likely. The other uh, will get you thinking about the faces of healthcare, the people that keep the system operating. I'm talking about Dr. Bradley Martin, who's going to join us in the second half of this show. If you're a regular, if you've been tuning into this show for coming up on three years now, you've seen Dr. Martin several times as a guest He's come on in past to, to, to diagnose rural health care in a way. He's come on in past uh, the morning after an interview with uh, Danielle Smith before she was premier to fact check some of the things that she was saying to us to give us another perspective on the management of health care. Well, there's an update on Dr. Martin's personal and professional fronts, and he's going to share that with us. I'm going to let you know right now. He's going to tell us why he's closing down his family practice. He's a young doc. He's younger than me, I guarantee it. And uh, he says that he needs to move in a different direction. This is one of the thousands of physicians in Alberta. But I bet you that he's not speaking for just himself on the show today. And there's an update on an international story that we brought you in late October as well. And we're going to get into that with Charles Adler in just a second. This episode of Real Talk is presented by Danatech. If you're looking to get your team's Uh, the industry's best safety training. Danatech has been Alberta's safety training leader for more than 30 years. You can find them online at danatech.com. At danatech.com, you're going to find details on what they can do for you. Their courses are designed by experts with more than 30 years of on-the-job experience, so you know you're getting information and training details from a team that knows how to do it and knows how to do it right. These courses are going to actually make a difference on your job site. Save lost time injuries, stay compliant with changing regulations, and quite frankly, save money on training with Danatech. Big companies across Canada are using Danatech's WIMIS, TDG, electrical and lifting device courses for really good reasons, including the fact they've got a catalog of more than 150 courses across all different industries. Again, you can visit danatech.com today. That's D-A-N-A-T-E-C.com to see their courses and find out more about bulk discounts. It was back on October 23rd when Ken Zeigen joined us, uh, a resident of the United States. He had returned to Israel to be with his family as they awaited word on the fate of his mother, 74-year-old Vivian Silver. All they knew was that she had been kidnapped when her kibbutz was raided by Hamas 
back on the 7th of October. They were holding out hope that she was alive. The lifelong peace activist had been organizing events in Jerusalem just weeks before her disappearance involving Palestinians and Israelis. She had been a bridge builder for decades. And with his heart in his throat, Ken told us what he thought his mom, Vivian, would want the world to be focusing on. I, I believe she would say that um, vengeance is not a strategy. Um, more destruction will not bring a solution to, to this bloody conflict. Um, of course, um, since she has been involved in this attack, I mean, she, she has been the victim of this attack, it is very hard for me to imagine um, what her perspective would be uh, if she were released today. Um, but I believe she will. She would um, be persistent with, with that message. That was on the 23rd of October. Uh, within the last few hours, Amir Barkhol tweeted, for over 30 years, the wonderful Vivian Silver chose to dedicate her life to peace in the Middle East week after week. She volunteered to transport patients from the Gaza Strip to hospitals in Israel. She initiated work training programs for Palestinians, enabling them to provide for their families with dignity. And she founded various organizations working toward the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. When Hamas terrorists broke into her home on October 7th, she managed to text her friends that she was hiding behind the closet door. Last night, after more than a month, her body was finally identified. She was murdered. Throughout her life, 74-year-old Vivian had extended her hand for peace with Palestinians. Ruthless Hamas terrorists grabbed that hand and took her life. If you believe in justice and compassion, don't turn away. Share Vivian's story. One of the many that has retweeted that post is the guest that joins us to kick off Real Talk episodes every week, Emmy Award-winning talk host Charles Adler, who joins us again today. Charles, I saw that you shared that post. Obviously, it's one that resonated with you uh, and is resonating with people around the world. This was one conversation we had on this show where we desperately wanted to believe that that family would hear from Vivian again. Yeah, and uh, they, they didn't because of what was done uh, to the body. And I, I don't want to get into graphic details there's so much graphic detail on, on all of this uh, horrible uh, mess, but um, clearly uh, some some things were done to her body, and then that's why it took uh, 30 days. Um, I know you don't like taking shots at uh, other members of the media. I'm not asking you to, but uh, somebody at CTV needs to do a better hire. Somebody there needs to do better HR. Some of the headline writing on CTV has become absolutely ridiculous. I don't want to hear about Bell Media's balance sheet bleeding or anything like that. Uh, Lauren Tereski, Lauren Tereski Harper, Mrs. Harper, uh, tweeted about it, among others. Um, CTV News put out the note on Vivian Silver and said, uh, Canadian peace activist Vivian Silver, who went missing, that's how they put it, who went missing after Hamas attack, has died, and uh, Lorene Teske Harper uh, correctly put this out. Has died of what, CTV? Old age? Or was she murdered? And it took over a month to identify her body. Does anyone working there, meaning CTV News, does anyone there have a heart? Many people at CTV News have hearts, and many have heads. 
And I'm not saying that heads should roll over this ridiculous tweet, but somebody needs to do something that is not a tweet from a professional news organization. I think I know what the tweet would say if you were writing it, but let's remove all doubt. What would it say if you were the one typing it out? Sadly, confirmation has arrived that Vivian Silver was murdered by Hamas. There's been a lot of this lately. I know that, and I know that you were paying attention to this as well. We're we're not going to uh, we're not going to roll it on YouTube because we'll get shut down for, for copyright, but we'll we'll include it on the podcast. But Jeremy Corbyn, uh, longtime Labour leader, obviously uh, in the UK, and Piers Morgan, talk show host, really getting into it. Uh, just a short time ago, Piers Morgan, fourteen straight times, asked Corbyn. Can you call Hamas a terror organization? Is Hamas a terror organization? I mean, he's badgering him. Can we have a discussion? Can you call them a terror group? Can we have a discussion? Can you call them a terror group? Is it possible to have a rational discussion? Are you with prepared you? to call is Hamas a terror group? Is it possible to have a rational you discussion? You can't, can with you? you? Is it possible? Come on, answer that you question. You can't, can you? You answer it. No, it's my okay. show. You answer my question. Well, are, me... Hamas you are, the... are Hamas a terror group? Listen, can I. Are they a terror group? Piers, can I speak? answer the question? Can I speak? Are they a terror group? Piers, Piers no, then, me, no. If you let me speak, are I'll they say, a terror group? If you'll let me speak, Piers. I'll say something. Go on then. A ceasefire means both sides. You said that. Are they a terror group? Listen, I said that. Because are they that a terror group? Part of the process. Are they a terror group? And will ha- can we? Go Why th- can't you say it? Piers, can we go through what? Ought to be happening. Just answer my question. Why do you think are Hamas most a terror nations group? in the world are calling for a ceasefire? Are Hamas a terror are? group? Come on, answer that. Are, answer me. No, you've got it's not so many, your show. You've got so many opinions. Why you should I answer yours when you won't day. answer mine? Why do you give out your opinions all day and every day? Are Hamas, and you don't like it are when Hamas somebody pushes ter- it back on are you? Are Hamas a terror group? Yes or well, no? You won't, like, you won't like it when somebody yes pushes it no. back on you. What I've said is... I've asked you two questions. Should Hamas stay in power and are they a terror group? You're refusing to answer either of them they that is very telling and you wonder it's not very and you wonder why not, people think you had a problem not with jewish people at all right is you wonder is your inability to keep quiet for 30 seconds yeah. to allow anybody I, to answer a on question. my show i ask people questions you and shout norm- at people normally they answer them I, you shout at people I, no no only do. when they won't answer the question I, no, you shout at people all the you've time deliberately you've deliberately not answered my question i've explained to you how to get rid of a mass you, Are they a terror group, Len? Uh, of course. The Thank terror, you. Why can't you say well, that? Hang on, hang on. You've answered it. Uh, it's great TV, uh, but yeah. take us into this. Well, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, reputation is uh, that of being uh, friendly with Hamas. He's even talked about uh, a friend of his at Hamas. Uh, people have uh, disparaged him uh, for, for that uh, over the years and other statements he's made about uh, members of the, the Palestine uh, resistance movement, the Palestine freedom movement, who are clearly members of terrorist organizations. And so people have come to the conclusion that Jeremy Corbyn is an anti-Semite, a, a Jew hater. What else could he be? And you support organizations dedicated not to just freeing the territory that we call Palestine, but to freeing all of it, you know, river to sea, meaning no Jewish state, meaning the annihilation of the Jewish state and according to the Charter of Hamas and others, the annihilation of the Jewish people. When you support organizations that are dedicated to genocide, you've got a problem. And the problem that you specifically have, in this case, is an anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic problem. And so Piers Morgan didn't ask him specifically about anti-Semitism. He just asked him whether or not he considered Hamas to be a terror organization. And as Ryan just said, he 
asked him 14 times and 14 times he refused to uh, to answer the man has a has a problem yeah, and, and sort of trying to turn it back on Pierce and say, will you give me a minute to talk? You won't give me a minute to talk. You won't stop talking. It's a yes or no answer. Um, yeah. Let's get into this. I never want to take something for granted that may seem obvious or may not, but it's why we have talk shows. Uh, we discuss these things. We hash them out. Why is it so important that Pierce Morgan get an answer there? Why is it such an important question that he asks it once and then 13 more times? Because if you're not willing to say that Hamas is a terror organization, you are no longer worthy of democratic dialogue. You've canceled yourself from the conversation of civilized people. You've become like some of, and I repeat, some of those people who tear down photos of of kidnapped children, kidnapped Jewish children, and uh, then engage in in, in all sorts of ridiculous conversation. I will say it today, I'll say it tomorrow, I'll say it again. I want the Palestinians to have their own country. I also want the Jews to have their own country. And I refuse to support those Palestinians who want statehood on the basis of eliminating the Jewish state and eliminating the Jewish people. And I don't apologize for opposing genocide, whether it's whether it's some crazy right-winger uh, in the Netanyahu cabinet who... Uh, wants to dehumanize Palestinians and, 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 and trash the idea of a Palestinian state and would be, I would say, in some cases, genocidal. So whether it's a, a Jewish person who's genocidal or a Muslim person who's genocidal, I oppose genocide. And I'm proud of Canada for always having opposed genocide. And I hope we always will. And I hope we never become the kind of nation that bends over so, so blatantly to be politically correct uh, so as not to offend the feelings of, of genocidal people, that we stop being 100% adamantly against genocide. And I mentioned, uh, I want to mention two people, two great Canadians who have offered moral clarity on this, and they're from different sides of the aisle. One is Bob Ray, the former interim Liberal leader and a former Ontario NDP leader. Bob Ray, who is Canada's ambassador, a distinguished speaker in, in many areas, especially this one. And the other one would be a person who I was never a big fan of, but that I can easily put that aside because this issue is far more important than, than politics. And that's uh, Brian Mulroney, although I was, uh, you know, I would say uh, a person who voted conservative you know, 90% of the time in my adult life. Uh, I was not a huge fan of Brian Mulroney, and I felt that uh, Brian Mulroney's uh, politics uh, is what triggered much of what happened in creating reform, splitting up the conservatives, as I say, I want to put all that aside. Uh, he spoke in recent days about this issue while accepting a Theodore Herzl Award at the World Jewish Congress. And Brian Mulroney on the issue of Hamas and everything that Ryan Jesperson and I talk about every Monday or Tuesday, uh, Brian Mulroney has been the most eloquent Canadian. Mm-hmm. How much of your feelings about Brian Mulroney had to do about the fact that he was the one that introduced the GST? Anything? Uh, p- part of it was the GST, and uh, you know when you're living in Alberta, and I and I was, and somebody introduces any kind of sales tax, you you know you get your your backup. But really, what bothered me most about Brian uh, Mulroney, and and what I think what what triggered uh, so much um, animosity against the federal uh, conservatives was his uh, blatantly blatantly biased decision to interfere in a decision 
which revolved around the, the Canadian military asking a company based in Winnipeg, Bristol Aerospace, uh, to uh, build fighters, jet fighters. And Brian Mulroney got in the middle of that and kiboshed that decision and gave uh, Canadair in Montreal, Quebec, uh, the contract. Um, that uh, gave uh, Preston Manning and many others uh, the moral authority to go after the federal conservatives and to talk about how it was time uh, for the West to have a fair stake of the action. It didn't matter how many uh, federal conservatives were elected in, in Alberta. I think every single seat at the time I was based in Calgary, every single seat in Calgary was uh, conservative. And when I said on my show, uh, I launched a talk radio in Alberta, a show called Hot Talk, launched in 1990, so a long time ago. And I said that every single seat uh, that is conservative is up for grabs. And Brian Mulroney and Mike Wilson and others... Uh, Harvey Andre was the, the top conservative in Calgary. They thought I was way too radical. I was uh, I was a whack job. I was crazy. It was everything else that, that they called me. But I knew in my heart of hearts that uh, a party w was rising called the Reform, and it would claim all of those seats, and of course it did. Hey, we've all had our whack job moments, Chuck. Some of them have earned <laughs> Emmy awards. I'm not. I, I never. I never said I wasn't a whack job. Yeah. I just. <laughs> I, just I just wanted to clarify. I just don't think I was. I just don't think I was whacked uh, to, to see that there was a, a mood. Um, although we didn't have we didn't have F Mulroney bumper stickers. Yeah, that, so that, how, how's that for how's that for uh, redeclaring that we're a little less civilized now than we were I wasn't, thirty plus years ago? I, I wasn't. I'm not old enough. Uh, I'm just barely not old enough to remember uh, the angst that Alberta, that the Prairies felt uh, against Pierre Trudeau during his time as Prime Minister. Um, yeah. I certainly, and I mean, I've shared this on the show before, uh, my beloved grandfather, my son's namesake, uh, Rudy Dutka, proud Chevron engineer. I've told you this before, Chuck, uh, told me that uh, Petro-Canada stood for Pierre Elliott Trudeau rips off Canada. Um, right. he, he told yeah. me that he would rather run out of gas then stopped to fill at a Petro Canada. So I, I, I knew the fe the feelings were strong. Uh, the feelings were palpable. Uh, but I, but I'm not old enough to remember whether or not there were fuck Trudeau bumper stickers in the seventies as well. There very well may have been, and, and maybe some of them in Quebec as well. Uh, so I'm not, I'm, I'm Mr. Pro free enterprise and all of that, but I, and I know this sounds overly simplistic. I have never understood why we absolutely have to pay the world price uh, for gasoline the world price for oil when we've got so much of it in our own backyard. I mean, uh, you know, if I was growing tomatoes in my backyard, I would, I would think I, I, I might get a better price uh, than uh, somebody uh, that's um, buying tomatoes imported from 2000 miles away. And I, I, I've heard all the, uh, I've heard all the arguments back and forth. I understand the system, but I don't like the system. I think Canadians ought to get a very, very special rate on gas. I agree. Uh, speaking of old school conservatives and that time, uh, the Mulrooney time, the rise of reform, the Canadian Alliance, Stockwell Day, the whole nine yards. I do have an email here. We won't let you go until I read it to you from Chris. Uh, no it's a good one. And Chris sent it to us on Friday and, 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 I've, and I've been sitting on it looking forward to putting it in front of you. I want to bring this back to our talk on anti-Semitism and sentiments that people are feeling uh, against Palestinians uh, and those uh, obviously involved in this conflict right now want to let people know if you already 
subscribe to our weekly email, you already know that Senator Paula Simons and uh, longtime media personality Tasha Carradine will both be joining us on Thursday to talk about this. Tasha is going to get into her piece that ran in the National Post this weekend that we said we'd never forget the Holocaust, but Gen Z has nothing to remember. It's very interesting, Chuck. It's her take on the the rise of anti-Semitism among Canada's younger adults, uh, Canada's younger citizens. That's coming up on Thursday's Real Talk. But over the weekend as well, a tweet from someone that I greatly respect and a good friend of this show, Elamine Abdul-Mahmoud, the CBC personality, and I want to pick your brain on this. He says there's a real horror show of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia going on in this country, and it feels like there's no way through it, man. I personally have never seen it this bad. He says, I say rising, but that doesn't capture it. It's been rising for years. Now it's a full-blown wave. He says, I promise you, you can call for a ceasefire and be horrified that a Jewish school in Montreal was shot at twice in one week. These are not incompatible. He says, Muslims I know are worried about threats to their life and their livelihood if they call for a ceasefire. Jewish friends are terrified that spaces they exist in are going to be attacked. Check on your homies. That from El Amin. How does that land with you? I thought it was good. Well, I love El Amin and I love uh, Natasha Carden and, and Paula Simons, and I'm glad that you're giving... Uh, these in, very credible Canadians, uh, the exposure that you're gi- giving them. Um, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, racism, misogyny, they all come from the same places in the heart, the dark part of our heart. You know, we're, we're, we're human beings, but we, uh, if you're, if, if you're a, a Christian believer, you, 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 you know all about the idea of being born in sin. Uh, whether or not we're born in sin, whether or not we want to believe in that, uh, we all do sin, and we all do sin in our hearts, and all of us have some hate in our hearts. But as civilized people, it's incumbent upon us, I don't care what your faith is or whether you have a faith, uh, whether you're a worshiper or a non-worshiper, it doesn't matter to me, religious or secular. Our number one duty in life as a civilized human being, our number one moral duty is to contain the hate, and the hate is, is uncontained. And it's true that social media and general media is is accelerating the hate. We've got too much hate in this land, and we need to tamp it down because people are getting hurt and people will be killed. Uh, shout out in, in the live chat this morning, uh, audience member Laura says they did have, and, and Laura's right, I vaguely remember this, says they did have bumper stickers, tax this, Brian. Uh, yeah, so so yeah. You know, people, <laughs> bumper stickers have, have I may, long I stood. may have had one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris writes into the show, talk at ryanjesperson.com. He says, uh, Jesper, I really enjoy Real Talk, your attempt to moderate some discourse between opposing ideologies, uh, in particular in Alberta, much needed in politics today, more focused on populism they are and having a political identity than thoughtfully caring about what's best for the province. Says my thought today as I listen to Adler on your show. Uh, he says I sure enjoy Adler, even though I'm probably much further left than him. But I'd like to ask him. Says Chris, what were quote old school conservatives actually like? He says I'm 47. I was apolitical till my 30s. I knew Alberta was perennially conservative, but I had no real idea of the difference between the parties. I never voted even until I felt the rise of the NDP federally under Jack Layton. 
And I found that party to be reflective of my existing views on governance and how society should operate. But Alberta politics for me, provincially, that really began with the rise of the Wild Rose Party. That's began, that says Chris, is when I began to watch somewhat with glee at the breakup and infighting of the conservatives. Uh, I enjoyed that the extremists left the PCs because the conservatives weren't far enough right for them. And then watching the PCs by default become more centered was welcomed by a left-leaning Albertan who just acknowledges conservatives will always be in power. My point of writing the show is that after listening to lifelong conservative Charles Adler and his reference to Don Braid, whom I've disagreed with more times than not, I want to know what actual, quote, old school conservatives really stood for, what they may still stand for. He says, I feel like in my time being politically aware, conservatism has been synonymous with religious, anti-gay, anti-immigrant, anti-science, anti-intellectual, conspiracy-talking points. Maybe I just don't understand how somebody who rejects these social labels can call themselves conservatives outside of just being pro-oil or pro-business. Has the party of entrepreneurship and small business been hijacked by the socially ignorant, or can they still hold hands? In closing, says Chris, how do the rational, thoughtful, common-sense conservatives sit with the current state of their party? What do they still agree on? What are their hardline differences? Can you actually be a fanboy of Rachel Notley, something that I think Charles and I share, and still call yourself a conservative? That from Chris to you. I'm a fanboy of, of Rachel Notley, and Rachel Notley, in terms of the current paradigm, is much closer to uh, yours truly in terms of being an old uh, school conservative I am a, a Peter Lawhead uh, conservative and, and no apologies for that either. And although uh, it would be inappropriate for me to try to speak for the late uh, Peter Lawhead, I'll, um, I'll bet my boots that Peter Lawhead would agree with this 100%. The reason I think of myself as a progressive conservative is this. The number one factor in Canadian life that appeals to me as a Canadian is freedom and equality is number two. I think as a progressive conservative, because I support free enterprise, I support the idea that people in this country should be free to enterprise, to market opportunity, and they should have access to opportunity. Equality is important because everyone should have an equal opportunity to seek it. And the number one reason why all of this matters to me as a progressive conservative is because I don't believe that we can have any sense of equality in this country, any sense of justice in this country, any kind of fairness and opportunity for as many people as possible to have opportunity. I don't believe any of that is possible without a social safety net. And I want free enterprise to be as prosperous as possible because when it is, it throws off the kind of money we need to create the social safety net to protect people from the various inequalities that exist in society that government cannot do very much about. I want a strong social safety net and I want a strong free market. I'm a progressive conservative. Love it. Johnny on the spot. There he is. To, to, to borrow your nickname, pal, from, from the producer of this show, we mean no disrespect. You know, Hexy, you know, don't want to put you there, put you out of the nickname. Well deserved. <laughs> I want to ask you about this, perhaps at, at, our, at our own peril, because this is uh, something that's yeah. pretty dangerous. You know exactly where I'm going, don't you? You just you just ex you just exhaled 
and put yeah. down your coffee mug like you're getting you're getting ready oh, to God. Go, this, shields this, up this here. This is going to be the toughest question of all. Uh, yeah, but I, I just, I you coming. know, I'm yeah. both surprised and not. The Toronto Star, of course, making this a feature piece uh, after uh, Catherine, Princess of Wales, Kate, Kate Middleton, appeared at a remembrance ceremony in Britain. Yikes, reads the headline. Kate looks old. Ageist reactions to photos of the princess, a new level of appearance scrutiny. Some of the comments coming from, like, Royal photographers like Tim Rook, uh, who if you follow uh, those close to the Royals, it's pretty significant. What was it in particular that made this something that that so stuck in your craw? Well, you know, I haven't said this publicly very often, but I don't have gender envy. Uh, I, I, I don't know what it would be like to, to be a woman, but I have a feeling that if I were a woman, I would be self-conscious most of the time. As, as a guy, I, I, I'm really not. Uh, yes, I do some television. I'm doing video right now. Most people are listening to this, not watching it. But nevertheless, I, I'm not terribly self-conscious of, of how I look. And I know I know in my heart, based on how men treat women and how women treat women and how the world is even treating Kate Middleton, who is an outstanding-looking woman, for, for them to be down on her and calling her an old bag and hag and, 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 and much worse than that, um, on social media and elsewhere, just tells me that it's really, really tough. Even in 2023, it's really tough to be a woman. And this isn't about men attacking women. Uh, this is about men and women uh, being equally guilty here. Uh, some would say that that women are even more difficult on women than men are. I don't know. Uh, all I know is if you're a woman, it doesn't matter whether it's 1923 or 2023, yeah, end up being incredibly self-conscious. And I would just wish for every man, woman, and child to lose all of this stuff about self-consciousness based on, based on vanity. And this idea that somehow Kate Middleton, the Princess of Wales, owes it to her fellow women and men, uh, owes it to all of us to have as much Botox surgery, as much... Uh, a facial corrective surgery as possible so as to look as closely as possible to what she did 20 years ago. I find that ridiculous, and I'm going to use a word I don't use very often, but I find that culturally oppressive. Trying to tell people that they owe it to our society and our civilization to have cosmetic surgery is absolutely ridiculous. Cosmetic surgery, in my opinion, is for those people who unfortunately, have been victimized uh, by accidents or by other aspects of life uh, that are massively unfair. But for Kate Middleton to be told that she must get Botox surgery or Botox treatment is absurd and ridiculous and, yes, oppressive. Huh. You know, I, I uh, <clears throat> on the live chat here, Leanne says, being a woman is hard, hard, hard. Diane says, so true. It's hard to be an aging woman. The society is cruel. Mm -hmm. um, you know, look at this. <laughs> Tracy says, because William standing next to her has such a baby face. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't need to pile on William. But but I but I will say this. Um, men just get a 20 year grace period. Right. Yeah. Like like pe society waits until, you know, I mean, I don't want to pick on a guy, but it's, it's to, to state the absolute most obvious. Like, you know, the president of the United States gets to the point where you got to be in your mid 80s for society as a man to start questioning your fitness for the position. 
Look at Lisa Laflamme unceremoniously dismissed as, as Canada's, in my mind, best news anchor with, with apologies to Donna Friesen and the others. Lisa Laflamme is the cream of the crop. And because, uh, you know, basically she, she she let her natural hair color rock during COVID and looked fabulous doing it. Everybody knows if you listen to this show, how I feel about Lisa Laflamme. I would kiss Lisa yeah, Laflamme's we, we know, fucking we know, feet. We know, I would kiss her feet uh, on behalf of with, your wife. With her consent, with her consent here, as a show of you're respect. A little thick. Yeah, I mean, uh, is it possible to do it in a way that's not creepy, Chuck? Just as <laughs> as, uh, pr- you know, professional deference <laughs> and reverence. My point yeah. being. Uh, Lisa Laflamme unceremoniously dismissed in a way that basically no male news anchor ever has been. You look at the American, you know, before we watch our shows or before the sports game goes on, whether you're watching a feed from Boston or Chicago or San Francisco or Dallas, it doesn't matter. You know what the desk looks like, buddy? It's a 70-year-old man and a 35-year-old woman on every single desk, and that's the way that it goes, and it doesn't mean that it's fair. I guess you might just say that's the way the cookie crumbles, but we can do better. that, 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 that's kind of what happens. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I got into my 40s and, and 50s and even 60s, and nobody called me old. As a matter of fact, uh, in Alberta, nobody called me old until I gave Jason Kenny a spanking. <laughs> yeah, and then you started appearing regularly on Real Talk, and now you got a whole bunch yeah. of people pointing out that you're old. Yeah. Uh, so am I, Chuck. We're all aging. Uh, as a reminder to everybody, I'll also remind everybody that way more people than you think are getting Botox. Uh, once you realize this, it, it'll open up your mind to a whole oh, no, I, I, And that's I perfectly it. fine. You and I might feel I mean, a little people, bit differently about that. It, if people want to get it on their own, they want Fill to your boots. That, that, that's terrific. I just, I can't stand this idea of telling people, you know, you owe it to us no. uh, to, to get surgery. I just don't like that. Yeah, beat it. Hey, not you, Chuck. We'll see you again next week, yeah? We're all getting a little wiser. And uh, folks, if you weren't happy with... Our level of wisdom offered uh, this Tuesday. <laughs> Tune in next Monday. Next, next Monday, Monday, guarantee you will be wiser. We'll be better and smarter. Yeah, that's Charles Adler, the titan of talk, Emmy Award winner, host of the Charles Adler Show. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find him on X as well. Why are you looking at me? I don't get Botox because I heard you. You're because I heard because I heard you crack your mic during. Well, no, during the, you left your mic silent. Yeah. You had nothing to say when I stole your nickname for yeah. Johnny on the spot. There, yeah, but I will. You, but you cracked your mic on the on the plastic surgery. because well, I hate this. I you know a lot of people because I look a lot younger than I am. A lot of people are like, oh, you look so great for your age. I think both ways is. I don't I don't really take it as a compliment. Like, what does that mean? I look really great for my age. Who cares? Especially in this day and age when like 60 is the new 40 and 50 is the new 30. But like the funniest thing is I'm listening to this is obviously we know how the British tabloids and the press are. They're they're ruthless. They're fucking bastards. But they're all old white dudes who look like shit. And they're talking to a beautiful young woman who as far as I can tell, I'm not an expert, has chosen to age naturally, which I think is great. And I agree with Charles. Like, if you if you want to get Botox, go ahead. I think nowadays, like, as long as you're not, you know, causing a detriment, detriment to your health or, or your body, I mean, a lot of that stuff is safe. And I know he said surgery, but, like, let, Botox really isn't surgery. Not surgery. It's, it's a needle, a little right? Little injections. But, but, like... Do whatever makes you happy. That's my thought. Do whatever you want. Get, stay get, get hair plugs. Get dude, your tits done. As long get Botox. Do get it braces. Like, I guys, got, if you want to... Guys are out here... Whatever you doing want. ...doing steroids and all this other well. crap as well. Like, whatever women or men want to do to stay looking young and... 
Props to them as well if if they want to age gracefully. And you're right though, men do get an amazing grace period. There's this whole like, you know, when they're when they're going well, gray George and, Clooney and, and they start to look more dapper and yeah. all this stuff. And then you know, a woman. I, I I think I agree with Charles when he was saying it. I was like, oh, I don't know where he's going here, but I get it. Like, uh, you know, men, we wake up, we wash our face. Most of us, we wash our face, we brush our teeth, we throw on our clothes, we make sure things are straight. And that's the best we can do, right? Yeah. But for women, like, there's a lot more that goes into getting ready, especially we're talking about Lisa LaFont. Who is it? Remember? People on TV and the public eye, there's makeup, there's all these things involved. And then after all that, you're going to tell them they look like shit yeah. in, a, in a newspaper? Remember like, how big of a wrong? deal it was? And that, th- this was just like earlier uh, earlier this month, wasn't it? It was like within the last month when Pamela Anderson stepped out. What was it like? Yeah, like she, New York Fashion Week or something like that? If and, you've and seen her, uh, her documentary, she said she's done with... She's done dressing up she's done she's done posing for the camera she wants to age naturally she wants to just be who she is and she's pamela anderson pamela freaking anderson Anderson. she's one of our greatest canadian exports of all time the most beautiful women in the world i think she's she's put in her time like like and again here we are talking about like who looks unbelievable like people will tell us to fuck off even for that but this is how real people talk and this is it this real is talk. It, this is real talk um but i i just think it's it's absolute lunacy and and for it's people crazy. to be taking shots at princess gate like what are you even Jeez. doing i guess i guess it comes with the territory like like ask oh, harry and megan about that the uk it's, um it's it's absolutely horrible but it's like who cares age gracefully don't age gracefully the yeah. other thing is though we're under a microscope now. Like back, let's talk about Pamela Anderson, like her her prime, right? You, you might have to dodge some reporters and some flashing lights, but you didn't have to go live on Instagram every day. You didn't have to have people chasing you with their phones, live streaming you. Nowadays, like everyone is getting the bad angles. We're all human. We all look like shit at some point. We all look <laughs> tired in the morning. Like the only people who look good is people under 25 and God bless them. That's they're young. Right. But like give everyone else a break. Yeah. Dwayne says, I used to think that being in your fifties was old. Uh, when my grandparents lived past 90, that changed a hundred percent. I remember like 40 over the hill. And then when I turned 40, I was like, I feel like I'm 20. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just like my body's starting to break down. That's I was, what I, gotta work I was on. watching last night. I was watching Tina Turner's uh, the five part legend. series that's on right now. I forget which channel I want to promote it, but it was absolutely incredible. But like we're talking about a woman who in her 50s was a sex symbol, was had the number one album in the world. In her 60s, the in her number 70s. one song on Billboard. Yeah, like man. people can do amazing things at any age. And who gives a fuck what they look like. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This message brought to you by Relay Real Talk <laughs> and Infamous Entertainment. Thanks for joining us. Um, and we've got awesome, awesome conversation in the live chat right now, but we also have a guest that's just like sitting in the bullpen wondering if we're ever going to get to him. And so let's move that. It, this is good, actually. We're, we're, we're about to talk to a physician. Maybe we can, we can ask him about, you know, whether or not he saw, he saw you know, differences in societal opinions or not. Or maybe or we'll if just he gets keep Botox. a little bit more serious. He, he's not <laughs> old enough to get Botox, which makes the, the story that much more remarkable that Dr. Bradley Martin is shutting down his medical practice. Uh, That coming up in just a second, but we want to remind you that if you're experiencing right now clutter, disorganization, you're sick and you go into your bedroom and your gut just, you know, it just sinks, your heart just falls because you got piles of laundry everywhere and you can't find your phone charger and your socks are all mismatched and that favorite tie of yours, you found it crumpled up on the floor and now you got to find a way to iron it and, oh, it sounds like you're ready for a free consultation with California 
California closets. That's where it all starts. A free design consultation where they can show you not just maybe the areas where they think they could improve your organization, but also how it's going to, of course, increase the value of your home and your quality of life while you're there. You can find out more about their custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home, including the garage, by visiting them today at californiaclosets.ca. Closets, closets, closets. Closets, 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 baby. <laughs> Nobody does it better than California Closets. Hey, have you checked out Carrie Skelton's Instagram lately? Isn't that your wife, Ryan? Yeah, it is. And she's the one that released this amazing reel of our backyard makeover. This is courtesy of, not courtesy of, but we partnered with Eden Landscaping on this one. Quite frankly, I was totally embarrassed about our backyard, and I was sick and tired of it. We re-sodded our yard, Johnny. We've lived in the house 12 years. We re-sodded it three times. Wow. Three times. Once by ourselves. Huge mistake. Way more work than you think. And twice professionally, we just finally realized we couldn't get grass to grow there. It was the dogs. It was the drainage. It was the lack of light. So we knew we wanted that artificial turf. We knew we needed to upgrade the bricks. We still wanted to keep the fire pit, but we wanted it to look a little bit more, well, classy. You know what I mean? But still have places for the kids to play. Eden Landscaping answered every single one of our questions. The end result was absolutely stunning. And they came in under budget. If you can believe it, you can find out more about working with Eden Landscaping by checking out landscapeedmonton.com. And finally, a shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration. You know, you go to their website, completecarerestoration.ca, you're going to see a building just absolutely demolished by fire, right? You're going to see what happens when a flood takes over a basement or a business. You'll, you'll of course, recognize that they're experts in dealing with asbestos or mold, black mold, but they're also fantastic when it comes to your ordinary everyday construction and renovation projects. We hired them to build our studio and I've never been more impressed with a team of professionals on the job. Uh, Johnny and I always talk about how when they had their drills out to help us mount our TV monitors, they had a vacuum going under the drill to make sure no dust hit the floor. Like that's just one example of the way they approach their work. If you're looking at a a renovation project, maybe a new bathroom, a basement renovation, or maybe a a condo conversion, find them online today at completecarerestoration.ca. Dr. Bradley Martin, ever since this show launched, coming up on three years ago, has been a wonderful friend of Real Talk. Behind the scenes, he's helped us understand stories relating to health care provision, in particular in rural areas in Alberta. He's written us letters. He's been active in the live chat. And of course, he's appeared on camera for several interviews. And he joins us today with a bit of a different theme because he's decided to close his family practice Dr. Bradley Martin joining us live uh, out of Hinton, a wonderful friend of this show. Doc, how you doing? Good, how are you doing? This is a question I ask very few guests, uh, but okay. I hope you don't mind me asking because I just want the context. How old are you? I am 35. You're 35. You're 11 years younger than me. Um, how long have you been in family practice? Uh, almost seven and a half years. Okay. So you are a 35-year-old experienced family doc in a rural area in actually one of the most beautiful communities in all of Alberta, in Hinton, the gateway to Jasper National Park. You've been practicing for seven years. You are a recruiter's dream. You are exactly the type of professional that the healthcare system needs and needs to keep around for decades uh, to answer not just current demand for healthcare, but also with population growth, a reality, uh, a system that's already strained and is set to be strained even further. But you're shutting down your family practice. How come? Uh, m- many reasons. Um, uh, 
where do I start? Uh, one thing is um, the the overall strain on the system. We're feeling it as more docs are leaving. There's more to to do for the rest of us. And I don't blame any doctors that have left. There are many reasons why people have. Um, for me, I find paperwork is just insurmountable. The the administrative work that we do is 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 just unreal, and it's so much of it is unpaid. You're sitting there for hours, just doing paperwork, referrals, you name it. Um, that and that work, I kind of find per capita per patients just got more and more. I I started off inheriting a um, a fairly um, old practice for more elderly kind of sick patients. So that was kind of a baseline to start with. And as that's been, as my practice population has been aging, those issues have just gotten a little bit more and more. And and, and I don't hold that against the patients. Um, so paperwork is a big part of it. I feel like I can't keep up with it. And, um, and then with uh, overall having fewer docs, there are more and more demands of us to need to feel in the eMERGE. And so that's a little different uh, in a rural healthcare compared to urban where you can be uh, um, a clinic practitioner without doing much of the rest of it, um, if you so choose. But in rural, there's an expectation to both be a clinic practitioner as well as an emergency room provider. So as well, between the pandemic and aging and growing populations, um, you know, each doc's kind of spread more thin. Uh, another thing for me was back in June, I actually wound up in the emergency room myself. Um, I, my heart decided to go a little bit faster than it should, and it was kind of ticking along there. Um, and I realized that that was probably secondary to caffeine and stress and trying to, you know, be awake to work all the time. And I realized, well, as you asked, I'm 35, a bit young to have some of those things. So that was kind of the, the precipice for me to say, hey, I need to, I need to look at what, what's going on. Um, and of all the aspects of my work, I found clinic was, I, I just got to the point where I was feeling miserable going to work every day. And I still kind of do when I go to clinic and I don't hold that against anybody I work with. I love the docs in town, love the clinic staff into medical clinic. You guys rock. Um, I just, I need to be there for my family. I've got three young girls and my wife. Um, so I, I, I actually find working in the emergency room, the high acuity situations to be less stressful than the clinic, uh, which is maybe different than a lot of docs. You specifically wanted to be a rural doc, right? Yeah, I did. What, what yeah, was right it about? What was it about it that drew you to to a rural community? I wanted to do a, a bit of everything. I wanted to, um, I wanted to be in emerge. I wanted to be in, uh, in clinic. Wanted to work in the hospital, and I wanted to do obstetrics. Now, the obstetrics never really did get off the ground too much um, because, and, and and I and I pulled out of that early, knowing that uh, that was going to be hard for my personal life and my family being away, um, just called away all the time. So I didn't get into that, but I, I, I love rural medicine for that. I get to, I get to service an under underserved population and I get to do a bit of everything. So did that make the decision that much more difficult? Like, I mean, I hesitate to ask the question cause it's going to sound like you're creating an issue or making an issue worse, but that's not it. You're doing what you need to do for your personal health uh, and your family, and also it's your career. You can do whatever you want. Um, mm -hmm. And you also know that wherever you go, your skill set will be in high demand. Um, but but did it make that decision that much more difficult for you, knowing that by closing a family practice in a place like Hinton, it's going to be even more difficult for obvious reasons for people living in Hinton to be able to find a family doctor? Yeah, no, and and that's that's exactly right. I um, 
I knew that uh, when I started having the health issues that uh, I knew that I needed to de-stress in some way and make that decision. And honestly, if I had been more proactive about it and, 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 and thinking of my family first and putting myself first, I would probably would have made this decision right away in June. I probably would have just uh, uh, done it earlier. But um, yeah, it makes it impossible. I was losing sleep over making the decision. I've been losing sleep since I've made the decision. It's I know that those patients, many of them won't have another family doctor. Uh, we do have a couple doctors um, taking on new patients in Hinton, but that won't, uh, we already had, uh, I would be doc number four or five in the last year or two that have left family practice. Um, so even though Hinton is usually better set than most of Alberta for, for family docs, we're, we're, we're not any longer. Um, I want to read some of the comments here. Kathy says, uh, through COVID, I was waiting for my doctor to call me uh, for a prescription refill. I assumed that since I hadn't received a call by 7 p.m. Uh, that he'd be calling me the next day. He called me at 9.30 p.m to do the refill, uh, still at work. She says, I was surprised that he was still working at that time. I asked if he was going to be done soon. He said he was probably still going to be working until two in the morning doing paperwork. That from Kathy. Larry says, so why is there not some form of like medical assistance support for this problem of like record keeping paperwork that seems to be a major issue, uh, even a reason for doctors closing their practices and leaving? Where is this AI uh, wonders, Larry. I, I would assume that you looked into solutions. I mean, it would there have been something or is there something that could have or still could change your mind? I mean, w what have you considered? Have you exhausted all avenues? Yeah, I mean, the administrative work on it is is always been there. And it, as you know, and uh, we've talked about on the show before, uh, technically speaking, uh, family practices are, are private entities, uh, aside from the fact that our, our rates are set by the government. So we don't choose how much we get paid. Uh, and our, we only have, typically speaking, one client, which is the government of Alberta that pays us. Um, so any family doc office that you see, for the most part, aside from the ones run by TELUS, which are another uh, yeah, I won't even go there right now, but uh, we can talk about that if you like. But of course, um, I want all, to. Yeah, all, all the rest of them, uh, even those ones, technically they're all paid for by the fees that go into paying physicians. So we pay for our own um, offices, we pay for our own staff. So, so that's um, that's part of it. So the more we would have to try to get help with that, the more we'd have to pay out of pocket to do that. Um, and that's tricky for a couple of reasons as well. Some of it is uh, a lot of staff can see the personal information of patients. There's everybody kind of signs waivers, privacy acts. We, we follow those privacy laws is, uh, obviously very tightly. Um, but some of the paperwork, like write a referral letter, there's not really anybody that can do that uh, besides a physician or somebody with medical training. I can't or like an insurance this. report or something like that. It can't be yeah, and I, and you know, I get a lot of help with some of those things. Some of the th when they actually need the medical kind of um, legalese on there, that's that's my job. But I do have staff that actually do help me with that, um, and we do have great staff that help me with that. I've got my billing clerks that help with the, the billing. I've got lots of staff that help me with some of those forms. But even with all that help, the, um, the just the sheer volume of it is is just just off off the charts. Yeah, I, I can tell. By the way, I just want to recognize it how careful you're being right now to recognize your staff and your colleagues and to to sort mm -hmm. of indicate that this isn't something that that was a result of them or, or or anything like that. Do you feel, in a sense, 
um, you know, by, by closing a clinic. Now I should note you're, you're still planning on working in the ER, right? And working in the hospital inpatient ward in Hinton. Is that right? People still see you around. Yes, correct. Hinton's my home base. Uh, you know, I live here. My, my kids go to school here, so that will still be home base. I will be working primarily in the hospital in Hinton and possibly some of the ERs in the neighboring communities. So are you feeling like somewhat of a sense of relief as well? Like walking away, like sort of being able to step away from so much overhead and the, and the obligations of that clinic, I would imagine in a sense, that's a bit of a relief. It it is. And it isn't. Um, I've always firmly believed as well of, of the docs in town. If you're working in Hinton as a doc, you should be paying overhead into the clinic and helping keep that primary care going. In my case, I'm not able to pay into that overhead um, with various various things such as inflation, honestly, and and uh, the government cuts to physician pay. It, the last three, four years have been a lot more of a struggle than the first few years I was practicing. Mm. Um, and then other, other more personal things on my end, I, I actually had an accountant that is under investigation right now. So I, you know, I've had to had to worry about that this year as well. So finances have been definitely been an issue for me too. Um, it's not my business, but just to clarify, are you, are you suggesting that he was stealing from you? No. Um, I think, I think they were, uh, he was simply took on too many patients or patients, sorry, clients and, um, wasn't able to deliver as quickly as he needed to, to meet deadlines. Uh And, um, that kind of had fallen through. So I ended up having to pay a lot of back taxes essentially Uh and, and, and just between that and overhead, it's. It's, it's kind of funny because, you know, doctors, they make decent money. They don't make as much as people um, seem to think they do by any means. Um, the average wage of a Canadian physician is far more than I make. I can tell you that. Um, and um, it's just between that and then, you know, getting my taxes back on track and paying proactively. I'm paying six figures in tax this year, essentially. So Jeez. it's uh, it's been a it's been a financial struggle. So my stress and my needing to kind of change my workload and be there for my family is the reason I'm leaving family practice. But some of the financial stuff's kind of been the trigger as to when I've decided to do so. Got it. I just want to recognize how amazing it is that you're having a frank conversation. Thousands of people are going to hear this. You know that you're not worried about it. I think because it, correct me if I'm wrong, there's there's something deep that drives you that's you know, you've you've written me big, long two page emails that you've asked me not to read on the show just because you've wanted me to better understand an issue like there's something about you. Uh, and I don't think it's going to go away by closing the doors on a family practice that you, you sincerely and deeply care uh, about, uh, this field, uh, this, this commitment, this life calling of, of practicing medicine, don't you? It's obvious. Yeah. A hundred percent. If, if I was, if I was in it for the money, I would have, uh, went into the U of A business school rather than the, uh, <laughs> medical school. Um, but yes, a hundred percent. And that, that's, that's part of the reason why this decision really does destroy me a little bit. I, I, I feel guilty every day hmm. for kind of walking away from the clinic and walking away from the overhead, but I know it's going to be what's you know good for the family. And, and I, and I, and I'm bolstered by the fact that I've had colleagues that have left the clinic that do that very thing. I think what's different about the current generations of physicians compared to the, um, the former generation of physicians is just how much we take on that workload and how much we, we are obligated to our personal lives. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, um, the, 
the stereotypical thing you hear about physicians is they never see their kids. Well, that's not true for me. I, I try to see my kids as much as I can, and I won't let any sort of job, um, whether it's calling or not, get in the way of that. And that hasn't, you know, I haven't been able to achieve that balance the last few years. So I'm just, I'm kind of writing that wrong a little bit. Um, uh, Curtis is in our live chat says, this man is a hero. Uh, Tara Lynn says there's this misconception that doctors are overpaid. Uh, Tara Lynn, as the son of a physician, you let me know who's saying that and I'll show up on their doorstep, Tyler Shandro style. Um, I've seen what doctors <laughs> go through. I remember, Brad, I remember sitting in, I have vivid memories sitting in my dad's uh, waiting room uh, after hours uh, while he did paperwork because paperwork, you know, comes at the expense of a physician's personal time they, they don't stop seeing patients at 1 p.m so they can finish their paperwork and be out by five they stop seeing patients depending on the clinic's hours typically in the late afternoon or into the evening and then they start then the work starts and then they get home and do what they can and bring what they can to their family but it's an absolute grind um, i appreciate this comment uh lauren says wow this is very candid um another audience member says i really hope um, that Dr. Martin, I lost the comment here because there's a lot of them coming in, but someone said, I really hope that he could mentor younger physicians or help develop younger. Uh, here it is. Tracy says, I'm so happy Dr. Martin's finding some balance. I hope he'll mentor some of the new doctors. Give us a sense of what the, and I, and I am obviously going to ask you about this AHS overhaul in a second and your thoughts on it. And, and we talked yep. to the health minister last week, the premier as well, um, and, and the health critic and the president of the Alberta Medical Association. Uh, no other talk shows really do that. Just have to plug real talk for a second. Um, yeah. uh, but Brad, what does the business look like? I remember my dad telling me like back in the day, you know, you, you, like any professional practice, whether you were an accountant or a lawyer or a physician, you would hope to sell your practice to like, even if you're in sales to sell your book, so to speak. But the way that healthcare was going in the province, it meant that physicians couldn't sell anything. They could maybe sell their exam beds on Kijiji, but, but any graduating physician right out of medical school could open an office, hang a shingle and be full uh, in like three months. Uh, so there was really no value to existing practices. Um, how, how do you, and maybe this is getting too personal, none of my business, just say so if that's the case. Um, are, you know, is, is there another physician that would jump at this opportunity to, to have the mountains as their backdrop every day and to come out and step into a booming practice, a practice that's so busy people can barely keep up? Or how does that look? Um, I would hope so. Um, I know... If, um I know jumping into a practice that's already kind of established is, is the way to go. That's one of the reasons I joined this practice. I didn't have to foot any cost to build a practice, uh -huh. get exam beds, get any of those things. I, you know, pay into the existing cost structure as it is and we share costs that way. So, yeah, I think a practice like this for people that want to practice really um, would be attractive. And um, um, anybody listening that might be interested, come to Hinton, come work here. It's, it's, it's a great place to work. Um, and I and I have to say, like, even our overhead costs, they're very low compared to places in the city and, and other places. It's just, you know, again, for me, kind of personally, some of those other cost barriers uh, were more of a factor for me than they might have been for, for other physicians. But I mean, physicians in the city, I mean, that's one of the reasons they had to fold up shop. They just couldn't keep the lights on with the, with the costs. But that being said, typically in the rural, rural areas, depending on the building itself and the owner's. Uh, you can usually get away with a little bit lower overhead for sure. So I, I you know, cost wise, Hinton's a very good place, very attractive place. I'm going to plug it all the way for people that are interested. And uh, just to comment on teaching uh, younger docs, I'm actually, I do teach in a program called the integrated community clerkship, which is a longitudinal program for medical students 
in their third year, they can either stay in the city and, and, and get the traditional teaching or they can come out rural and um, work with us for 10 months. So I, I have actually have a couple of students right now that I, I'm teaching and I, I've been doing that for several years. So teaching is huge and um, definitely a big part of what I do. And it gives me a lot of joy. Oh, I love to hear that. Uh, Darren in the chat says being home and being present more often is so valuable. He says, I guard that above all else. He says, it probably makes me a worse teacher. I doubt that, Darren. He says, but I'm pretty strict about 40 to 45 hours a week on the job and doing no work on weekends. Good for you. Um, you know, this. how about this from Chris, who says this is a trend across many industries and it's admirable. Chris says the current generation uh, across many career paths values their personal and family time first. And I, for one, applaud it. Um, Chris, you know what is neat? If you didn't catch it, uh, Brad, I don't know if you saw it, but back on November 3rd, we welcomed three of Edify's top 40 under 40, including Heather Thompson. Um, Heather joined us. Uh, you're seeing uh, Shaliza Kluge uh, uh, there on the screen right now. Uh, she's senior counsel uh, for, for, for a big shot company. Um, it was so cool to have her in the studio along with Sonny Sakon and, and Heather Thompson. But Heather was talking about uh, millennials and what millennials are looking for and then what Gen Z is looking for in the workplace. Um, and that was a big one. She said, you know, the, the Gen Z is, is typically uh, less sort of obsessed uh, with like, you know, like the carrots dangling in front of them and trying to scale the corporate ladder as quickly as possible and, and time uh, to them and quality time and balance is what drives Gen Z and businesses, uh, no matter what industry they're in, better figure that out quick. Uh, if they want to be able to retract, uh, to attract and retain talent. Uh, if anybody didn't, if anybody missed that roundtable, it's fascinating. That was November 3rd. I encourage you to check it out or you can check out the top 40 list at edifyedmonton.com. But this, I mean, uh, this was what I said leading into the conversation with you. This is a nightmare scenario for, I mean, if you're the health minister to control the messaging on a departure like yours, you're you're just one person, but you're also not just one person. I bet you right. your story will resonate with a lot of people. And when 35-year-old physicians are walking away, that's a way different situation than 70-year-old physicians walking away. Yeah, and like I said, I'm not I'm not the first one to do so uh, in Hinton, and I and I won't uh, name names of the Hinton docs, but we've had two people leave town completely um, due to the. The demands of the job and, and and choosing family first and i think that's a big shift as i said earlier and if you mentioned too maybe it's a generational shift but um i know docs uh, of the older generations um you know work 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 and you know that's sometimes heralded as the ideal of of how much a doc should work but i think you'll see that um i know i don't have the statistics in front of me but drug addiction uh divorce rates um all those uh, issues probably were higher in the in the previous generations with all the, the work they did um so and that's and that's one thing that's kind of hard to reconcile um kind of looking at some of the documents that were leaked uh, i saw i saw a couple screenshots that uh, the ucp were kind of amusing um, when it comes to certain things and i know one of the things is saying they they expect family doctors to have practice panels of 1500 patients my practice is what I would consider rather small compared to others, and it's about 600. Um, I don't, I couldn't fathom tripling that or doubling or more than doubling that. I, I just, I, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm, like I said, I'm struggling 
to keep up with it now. And that's, you know, another reason I'm leaving clinic practice as ironic as it is. I feel like I'm failing my patients a little bit, not being able to keep up with it, what they need. And I realize leaving altogether the practice does even less for my patients, but um, yeah. So it, when, when there's this, 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 this um, expectation that we need to have higher panels, I just, I can't reconcile that because um we also have to appreciate that turnover inside our clinic for example we've had a lot of turnover in our staff and we you know just like any company if you can keep your staff members happy you're going to keep them longer and it's the same thing with physicians if we can be happy we can be more supported we'll have we'll be far more productive but it's 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 tough in this in this climate right now uh, we spoke with Alberta's health minister, as well as uh, the president of uh, the, the association that would represent you as well, the uh, AMA, the, you know, representing, speaking on behalf of Alberta doctors, uh, Dr. Paul Parks, back on November 9th, and uh, talked to the health minister basically about these uh, transformational foundation rattling. I mean, it's sort of like basically an atomic bomb approach uh, to to changing how AHS operates. And there's a million angles of approach on it. Uh, I know some people were dissatisfied with the interview because we had about 12 minutes with her and, and we tried to cover as much ground as possible. But you could spend 12 minutes uh, talking about how they're going to manage laundry services, how they're going to procure, you know, like who's how, how Covenant Health will compete with whatever. I mean, there's obviously a million things to talk about. The government spends about twenty seven billion dollars on health care, and that number is only set to rise annually. Um I'm sure you heard that interview or at least saw the highlights of it. What did you make of it? What do you make of the story? What are some of the key details that you're keeping the most keen eye on early in these foundational rearrangements? One thing I will say, just to preface what I'm about to say, is I, I do find that the Smith government does seem to be far less hostile than the Kenny government. Way less. Uh, I don't, I don't, and you. I think you mentioned that last week on the show as well. There's, There's a little bit more... Um, rapport there. Um, now, I myself haven't tried to engage the government um, with 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 uh, the Smith government as much as I tried to engage the Kenny government, but that was like hitting your head against the wall. Um, it really was. It was it was tough. That being said, uh, I do have quite a few concerns with with the direction. One of them being um, just to make mention of kind of what they what they said about how. Uh, I can't remember what the document was. I, I remember seeing it was a screenshot clip to Global News, I believe, talking about the almost trying to say the overabundance of family doctors, which I, I mean, that's just not true. Um, I know that there are more family doctors total number than any other specialist, but of course there are. I mean, we're the, the gatekeepers of the healthcare system and we need to be there in high numbers. So I, I just think the, the, the overall premise and where they're coming from is, is, is just a bit off. And that's what concerns me. The other point was talking about, um, talking about how is it worded, Ryan? Um, the way it's going is, is counter theological to what, what yes. they want to be or something like that. Yeah. Basically some, some, some areas yeah. of healthcare delivery in particular around harm reduction are operating counter to the government's approach. They, they don't like. Yeah. That. And, and, I, as, as, as real talkers and yourself know, I'm, I'm, I'm hard left. I uh, always have been. And uh, I don't apologize for that whatsoever. But um, left or right, the government ideology behind way they, where they want healthcare to go, for the most part, shouldn't be in play. Evidence needs to be in play. 
and evidence tends to support more of the, the, the social aspects of healthcare and, and being that social net. Um, so, I mean, like, it, it shouldn't matter what uh, an MLA, the premier, any government ministers think about what needs to happen, follow the data. Because A, you're going to help Albertans more. B, you're probably going to do it the cheapest way as well, in the most cost-effective way. Um, so that's where sometimes when I hear the term fiscal conservatism, it's like, well, sometimes the best way to be fiscally conservative is to actually be socially liberal in that matter and, and actually spend a lot to have a social safety net. Um, whether it's uh, Medicare, Medicaid, those kinds of things, evidence shows that in the long run, you'll save costs, even if they're there up front. It, did you have, I mean, was this like water cooler talk? The, the, there were those, those leaked documents, the, you know, the brown envelope that Rachel Notley says she got in the mail. They say they don't know who it came from. They, they, they heralded these, these changes coming to AHS. The government makes the announcement the next morning. This was mid last week. We blew up half of our weekly lineup to, to accommodate discussion on this because people don't care about much more than they care about health care, education and health care. Those are the two big ones. Uh, what was the water cooler talk like at the clinic or, or amongst your colleagues? Do you, do you get a sense? Is there like a general theme? Is everybody on the same page or some people are some of them going, hey, listen, the system's been so fucked for so long. We're open to new approaches. Um, you know what? I'll be honest about uh, the leaked documents. I, I don't think, you know, we've been so busy at the clinic, I don't think we've had a chance to even talk about it. Sure. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't even know how many of the docs are aware of them. We're just kind of grinding gears trying to keep things going. Um, but one thing is, is uh, most of the docs in Hinton, and I won't speak for them specifically, are, are in the same kind of boat as far as um, where, where our values lie in that. And certainly, you're right, the system is 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 not ideal and it does need to change, but I'm just, you know what, I'm just going to say it. And I know it's, it's something that docs will skirt around at times. And I think one thing, at least for now to stabilize the current system is just pay us more, just, just pay us more. One thing was uh, we haven't had a fee increase since 2009. Um, uh, you know, cost of living increases haven't really happened at all. And, and just like anybody throughout the pandemic, uh, inflation's been huge. Hang on. So are uh, you saying are you saying for like a for an annual physical or for like a visit like a O three O three A or something like that a billing yeah. code for like a basic doctor's visit uh, has not increased a, a cent since two thousand nine? I don't know about if it's increased a cent, but I, I I don't think there's been major increases. I know there hasn't been hardly any increases, if any, since I've started seven. So years like ago, when houses were like two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars that are now seven fifty, um, and you're getting yeah. paid about the same. Yep, yeah, as far as I know, as far as I know, yeah, I. Uh, I always compare it to one of the docs that's uh, she, she's leaving town, but she's more or less retiring from Hinton. Uh, she's been working here for 20 plus years. She's great. Um, she bought her house. I want to say the early two thousands, you know, probably a third of what I've paid for my house. And, and uh, you know, the, you know, she makes other than the fact that she delivers babies and makes more on top of that. Otherwise she makes about the same as I do and mm -hmm. just different circumstances. I mean, I'd be in a lot different position if I, started working 20 years earlier truth be told yeah sure um, yeah so I, I can't say that there haven't been some cost of living adjustments and small recourses to that since 2009 but um nothing major and then like i said during the beginning of the pandemic when we had to do a lot more virtual care uh alberta went from being one of the higher paid clinic visits to the absolute lowest in the country and we spent two and a half years getting paid twenty dollars per visit essentially with no modifiers on that and when they did start to put that to be more in line with in person, 
that was around the same time as we went back to in-person anyways. So yeah, no, it's uh, um, that and then inflation. I just, you know, just like anybody, I, uh, nobody's immune to that. Your dollar just doesn't go as far. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a physician making physician money, but I, you know, it's, it's been a struggle for me. I live paycheck to paycheck as, as, as odd as that might seem. Uh, my bank account empties out every month, truth be told, and people can judge whether that's spending or not. I don't think it is. But I just feel for anybody who doesn't kind of have that same income. I just yeah. don't know how most Albertans are are pulling through right now, to be honest. No, I have no idea either. Um, and, and I don't take that for I, I'm not just brushing that off. I'm saying I, I don't get it either. Um, yeah. You know, w- what a powerful conversation we had with Mark Charrington a few weeks ago, uh, who discussed his work as basically kind of like a, a lone wolf renegade human rights kind of a guy i don't know how you'd even describe me he's a human rights advocate that's how that's a hero that guy did you see that episode with mark <laughs> i like, did yeah oh no, my I'm, gosh yeah that, that say guy what you was, want about me and the, the the listener that said i was a hero i got nothing on mark well yeah, whatever it doesn't have to be a con- it doesn't have to be a competition uh i'd like no. to get the, i'd like to get the two of you no. guys in the same room one day uh <laughs> justin says just well house prices are not a good basis for comparison when house prices have far outstripped salaries in recent years fine fair enough uh I, i'm you know I'm, I'm we don't have a script here but i'll just say pick Pick whatever price you want. Loaf of bread, liter of gas, like a family vacation, whatever you want to pick. My point is just from 2009 to 2023, um, you know, everything's doubled. Uh, so, you know, I, no matter what you're talking about, a pair of jeans, you know? Yeah, I know the, um, I was reading somewhere, uh, don't quote me on this, but in the last 10 years, prices have just, you know, on average about for everything went up about 31%. Wild. And I think more than half of that's been in the last four years. Yeah. Laura says one bag of groceries is a hundred bucks at Walmart, hundred um, yeah. percent. You know, so yeah, I mean, uh, Curtis says doctors need to go on strike. You can't, they won't. I can't. You can't. No, I would, I would, I would support that action in some regard, as long as we're leaving, you know, the hospital's lights on and, and being staffed that way. Yeah. Uh, I would support that. But um, yeah, no, we can't. I mean, obviously, we would want to make sure we're there for our patients. But yeah, we legally cannot strike. Legally can't. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, man, I've got so much respect for you. Obviously, uh, you, you know, we uh, we wish you well. This is not goodbye. This is far from goodbye. If anything, I'm hoping that you might be a little bit more available for for more frequent appearances on Real Talk. The way that you roll, your your breadth of expertise, you are our exact target demo, a professional 35-year-old. Uh, so I, I'm hoping that, that, you know, I mean, in addition to more time with your family and, and more time focusing on your own personal wellness, uh, that also we'll be able to speak with you more frequently as well. We haven't wanted to bug you through your week-to-week grind. But bug me as often as you like, Ryan. All right, pal, we will. I'll hold you to that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, love you, buddy. That's Dr. Bradley Martin uh, joining us from Hinton, Alberta, one of the good guys, uh, to say the very least. And thanks to everybody that's been leaving comments on the live chat. I could, I could barely keep up. Um, someone says, Jespa wears designer jeans. Um, <laughs> hey, I have every man jeans as well. I have both. Um, I have jeans. I was getting chirped, Johnny, May long weekend for wearing boot cut jeans, uh, buffalo jeans Ugh. that I've had since the early 2000s Jeez. because Is they that the fit. Straight leg? They, they they fit so well oh, over geez. my rubber boots when we're wheeling. Yeah. They're just perfect wheeling jeans. Well, if you look at fashion nowadays, there's no middle anymore. It's either skinny jeans. Or the the kids are just everything's super baggy right now. Yeah. Everything like everyone dresses like Billie Eilish. Like everything is XXL t shirts, big baggy jeans, big boots with big, 
Yeah, that's I don't understand. It. That's me. Ever since I put on my COVID twenty five, I just wear big baggy sweatshirts everywhere. That's why I just wear slacks and button up shirt every day. <laughs> I just stay out of fashion. Oh man, <laughs> Bradley Martin, uh, love that guy. And and uh, like Glenna says here, what a, a great guest, very informative. You, you get a guy on here, um, just just saying straight up. Here's the deal. Here here's why I'm making this decision. Here's why it's difficult to make this decision. And here's why I'm probably not the only one going to make this decision. Um, if you know of somebody that would be enlightened or, or, you know, educated or moved by that interview, please do share it. That really does mean a lot to us. This conversation happened because of Real Talk partners like our friends at the family-owned Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food with weekly delivery to Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta with a minimum order of $50. You can shop right now at granddog.ca. Check out the Shop Now link for more on their Four Leaf Rover bundles. These are bundled curated supplements uh, each of them with a specific health consideration in mind it could be uh, general health and maintenance it could be an aging dog that requires some hip and joint help uh, maybe allergy support or whatever it is they've got you covered with their four leaf rover bundles plus check out their blog for really excellent information on for example moving your pup from kibble to raw or even to enter in their photo contest I, I love that look at that you can find it all at granddog.ca don't forget if you've never ordered from them before use the promo code real talk it'll take 10 percent off your first time order and our friends at freezing brothers want to remind you that they've, they've got something very special coming up here that's this friday november 17th charlie their sourdough starter turns eight years old happy birthday charlie a natural culture crafted from simple ingredients just flour and water and their sourdough bakers feed Charlie daily with 100% Alberta flour, ensuring Charlie's enduring presence and enhancing the unique quality of the bakery products. You can learn more about Charlie by checking out, I'm going to show it on my screen right now, freezing.com slash Charlie. Look at that. I had no idea. Details on Charlie's birthday. Uh, they're going to be giving away free Friesen Brothers cinnamon spread when customers purchase a sourdough loaf on Friday, November 17th, and all kids are going to get free balloons as well. Free balloons for the kids at Friesen Brothers. More details online at Friesen.com. Some amazing feedback here. Tracy here on the live chat says, Tracy's a career counselor, she shared with us, says my newest client is a manager at a large department store. She's experiencing seizures due to stress. Uh, we're trying de-stress exercises, but I think she needs a new career. Man, that's a, that's a position where a lot of people are, are finding themselves, where you've got, you, you if you're going to try to choose between advancing your careers, this comes back to what we were talking about on that top 40 roundtable uh, just a short time ago, earlier this month, it's like if you're choosing between your career and your health, that is not a choice. That's a no-brainer. Health needs to come first. I know it's easier said than done sometimes. Mm -hmm. You go, well, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to support my family? Uh, but if you don't have your health, what do you have? It should be number one. I think a lot of I'm guilty of it, too. I, a lot of people I'm prob probably luxury, not putting though, it number know? one as much as I should. But it's also like this thing from the past, too. Like, like our parents, our grandparents, they're all like, that, that wasn't it. They just worked hard all the time. That was number one, right? And so sometimes I'll be like, oh, work was so hard today. And then someone will say to me, like, what'd you do? You sat at a, sat at a desk, stared uh, at a screen, uh, typed on a keyboard. And uh, I'm like, you do a lot it was that, mentally and physically draining for me. I know I wasn't in a coal mine. You know what I mean? But it was, it was, it was tough. Another thing I like is uh, in the chat, uh, like there is this misconception that doctors are just rich. 
You know what yeah. I mean? You're a doctor, you get out of school, you get a job, immediately you're set. Mm-hmm. And I like how Bradley was was talking about that and you as well, like your, your father. Like there's so much yeah. Yeah. overhead involved. People it's don't not get just it. like you get out of school and, you and know you're what was brutal a millionaire. Was that you know? the, uh, the, the Alberta government under Premier Kenny... Um, which was just so combative. I mean, I don't, I don't know if anybody saw. You want some inside baseball? You guys know that, that, and I'll name names, like, you know, there were those within Kenny's war room, so to speak, those that were running his communications, his comms, like Matt Wolf and Brock Harrison and Harrison Fleming. Like, you remember these names? These are all the guys that worked to get me fired from 630 Ched, all these assholes. And, uh, and you just notice, like, Harrison Fleming was brought out to Vancouver three months ago to run comms for Vancouver's new mayor. You know, he's already gone. Uh, they've described him as too combative. They, they just they, he didn't fit Vancouver's political scene. And the guy didn't make it past his three month probation because wow. he's such a dick. But this was the position. Oh, God, it feels good to say that about these guys. <laughs> they earned the title. Wear it proudly, you yeah. assholes. Wear it proudly. Uh, but I will say this is like the tone that they took with Alberta doctors was horrific. Bad. And and it's not just the, the yelling at the end of the driveway thing. There was so much more. And one of those things was releasing statistics that showed the annual average salary like for a what? physician. But they were including, they were including like neurosurgeons yeah. and, 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 and like all of these like specialized surgeons. Yeah. There are, there are surgeons in Alberta making bank that we are making $2 million a yeah. year. And like, you know what, if you're taking a saw to open up somebody's skull to operate on their brain yes. and you have that skill set you should be paid accordingly i want that guy to be comfortable oh, i want girl. that i i want that i, <laughs> I want, want that, that surgeon to be, to be the best <laughs> yeah. in canada i want them to be paid the top dollar three months vacation w- a year whatever they need relaxed. oh i saw my doctor <laughs> drove a porsche yeah and he just had a drill in your skull like what do you want your doctor like you know what i mean so this uh, but you know what that was such a disservice because people see those numbers about it's annual salaries them for no and reason. then people think that the that the family doctor they think that the the guy that's that's running the clinic that's burning the candle at both ends is making seven hundred thousand dollars a year and that he's taking that home and nothing could be further from the truth Mm -hmm. and another thing that was and we said this on real talk when it happened it was like three years ago but we said it then and we'll say it again is when you take the number that a physician bills alberta health services for the year that they bill then you, you you can't look at that as their salary they're paying their staff out of that. They're paying nurses mm-hmm. out of that. They're paying office overhead out of that. They're paying corporate tax out of that. They're paying all of the things. And it's just so, it's infuriating for me because I've seen it on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I've seen how 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 people, oh, it must be nice. <laughs> it's like, these people went to post-secondary for 12 years. A lot of them yeah. are graduating with six figures in student loan debt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and as you can tell, I take this personally. I know you do, but I've always said, I think the three fields we should not argue about pay for is first responders, doctors, and teachers. And teachers are getting the shit end of the stick, obviously, because they don't get paid well enough. Uh, SNL this weekend, I hope you watched it. There I did it. Nate Gazy, there was a great skit about they're, they're on an airplane and, and a woman goes into labor, labor and of course, is there a doctor on the plane? And this guy stands up and he's like, 
hi. And they're like, oh, thank you, doctor. He's like, well, I'm not a doctor, but I'm a lawyer. So that's like the second best job, you know? <laughs> and they're like, another guy stands up. He's like, wait, lawyer's the second best job? And they start arguing about what the best, like the most, you know, best professions or most respected are. And they all end up agreeing that doctor is first. And then they're arguing whether it's lawyer or engineer second. And then this one woman stands up and says, well, I'm a teacher and they all start booing and throwing their garbage at her. And it's just indicative of like, like the temperature right now sure. that we have towards teachers. But I thought it was a great skit and it was just, I was going to actually, if we, if we wouldn't get dinged today, I would have played it on. The yeah. Show there's it there's so much we would love to share on YouTube that, that just the algorithm. But it's funny. We respect down, but... doctors, but we're like, but then people want to argue they're paid. Too well, because much. there's like... this, there's this anti-intellectual thing going on as well. Chris earlier in the show nailed that with his, with his email. Um, yeah. The, the angst that there is towards like professionals. I mean, you, you look at David Parker, founder of Take Back Alberta, is like all of you with your professional certifications think you're so fancy. We laugh at that. It's like it's just such a bozo approach to living. Uh, anyway, the good news is here we are independently operating. We can say whatever the fuck we want, which means you're getting real talk all the time. And we love you for being a part of it. And of course, we promised that we would wrap up this show with something super positive. Thank God. The first episode of every week. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy get a free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Give us a chance to sort of shrug off the negativity and harvest positive energy and focus on humanity. It's Positive Reflections, presented by Kubi Energy. And I want to give a huge shout out to Braden, who watches us. Braden says, every day from Coquitlam, BC. Shout out to you, Braden. Uh, suggested that we feature the Instagram account, We Rate Dogs. Uh, because who doesn't love an account that just rates dogs? And there was one in particular. This is the story of Annie. Annie was surrendered to a shelter at 19 years of age. We don't know the story. Annie's owner could have had a health issue themselves. We don't know. But at 19 years of age, with just one month to live, Annie was given one month to live. Uh, a, a couple by the name of Lauren Seiler and Lisa Flores, their best friends, as a matter of fact, decided to, to make the last days of Annie's life the very best. And so they decided to take her through a long bucket list of adventures. You can check this out yourself, uh, the Instagram account, We Rate Dogs, but it was absolutely incredible what they did for Annie. Check this out. Annie was picked up 19 years of age after being surrendered, and they had her uh, working through the like taste-testing burgers, for example, Johnny, receiving a Valentine, not just one, but many Valentine's cards. They had her painting pictures with her paws and celebrating <laughs> every major holiday day and, and guess what annie surpassed her life expectancy for almost a year she passed away after turning 20 uh. but not after not before she completed every single thing on her bucket list with these two people lauren and lisa who loved her very much now we're thrilled to let you know that the account we rate dogs with three million followers has awarded annie their highest honor which is a 15 out of 10 rating wow annie gets the 15 out of 10 annie a very good girl may she rest in peace 20 years of age and a big shout out to lauren seiler and lisa flores thanks to Braden as well in coquitlam for submitting this if there's something that absolutely made your day shoot us a dm on one of our social media channels or send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com positive reflections is presented the first episode of every week by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. Thank you for being a part of Real Talk. Thank you for making it a priority to talk about things that matter in the way that real people talk about them in hopes, in the confidence that we together 
can make a difference. We'll see you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Metis settlements and the Metis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.